I consider myself a, a really good husband and I consider myself a great father. Okay. And I didn't have examples of either one of those. And what happened was I began looking at the men in my 12 step groups. I began looking at the mentors that I have in business. And a lot of it was this. I have an old saying, Felicia, that I've had bad bosses and I've had good bosses. I've learned more from the bad bosses because I learned what not to do. The same thing is true with parenting. I had good parents, but at times I had bad parents. And I want to take the good and bring it over here. And then what I do is I put up a Great Wall of China and that bad that sits on that side of Great Wall of China doesn't make it over to affect my three daughters' lives. Tears roll down your face Reaching for something Someone to embrace To numb Welcome to Sobriety Checkpoint. Are you a parent in recovery, wishing for peace and emotional sobriety? Do you find yourself up late at night, Googling things like how to overcome negative thinking or why is my heart racing? Do you wake up with big, ambitious goals only to feel resentful and irritable when you put everyone else's needs first and leave no time for yourself again? Hey, I'm Felicia. I'm a 12-step returned therapist, and I too have battled anxiety and that critical inner voice. All I wanted was peace and just a little bit of time to myself. I tried to strive and achieve to find happiness, but that only left me with more anxiety. I finally realized I needed to discover my true identity to find the peace I was striving to attain. In this podcast, you're going to find solutions to navigating mental health, spirituality, and relationships to experience the peace you've been craving. It's time for that desperately sought-after solo target run. Grab your keys and let's go for a drive. There's no judgment or breathalyzer at this sobriety checkpoint. Bonded by the beauty of it all. Recognize I was always destined to fall into deepest dark. Stronger than we think we are So fight and show your strength Welcome back to another episode of Sobriety Checkpoint. Before we get started, I'd like to invite you to become a Sobriety Checkpoint Insider. By becoming an insider, you'll get weekly updates with the latest podcast episode, emotional sobriety and self-care tips, as well as early bird access to special offers. I'm excited to announce that I am now offering emotional sobriety coaching. So if you'd like to meet one-on-one, please reach out and schedule a call. My contact info is in the show notes. You can also head over to Facebook and join my community, where you're going to find other parents in recovery seeking solutions to emotional sobriety through exploring mental and emotional health, spirituality, and relationships. Check out the show notes for the Insider and Facebook group links. I hope to see you in there. Lastly, Don't forget to subscribe to my show, leave a review, and share it with a friend. Reviews help boost my ratings, which helps other parents in recovery find my show. Thank you so much, and I'm super grateful for your support. All right, now let's get started. Today, I had the pleasure of speaking with Greg Champion, a creative writer and innovative businessman with 28 years in addiction recovery. Greg is a TEDx speaker and former branding expert, 
He's worked with top consumer brands such as Gap, Mattel, Doritos, Pokemon, and Nike. Major television networks, NBC, Fox, and Fox Sports, and professional sports teams during the first 15 years of his career. He now focuses his energy on selective startup ventures as an entrepreneur, advisor, educator, and startup coach. Sensing a shift in the economy and the media industry, Greg's intuition told him he needed to pivot. He came up with a mantra that he said to his wife and the universe every day, I want to get paid for being me. What came of that daily prayer and the patience of his loving wife was the opportunity to go into drug treatment facilities, sober living centers, and intensive outpatient programs, and facilitate, teach, and coach others in his version of recovery. I hope you enjoy part one of this interview with Greg Champion. You can find his links and contact information in the show notes, as well as a bit more information about him and his story. So to go ahead and get started, can you tell me a little bit about yourself and what it is that you do? Well, my name is Greg Champion. I live here in Los Angeles. I have a beautiful wife and three beautiful daughters. I'm also the founder of Startup Recovery, which is a transitional living house or houses that help people get sober. We also stabilize certain acuities of mental health and um, really allow for people to come to our houses, feel safe, find a place of solace, and most important, push the reset button on their life. I myself, this November, will celebrate 29 years in recovery. And people always ask me, Greg, how have you been able to be sober and, and clean for all this time? And really, Felicia, I remained willing to be willing. And I think that's the biggest characteristic that someone needs in terms of long-term recovery. I believe the 12 steps are a great foundation. I believe certain spiritual modalities are, as well as religious programs. But I believe you got to keep collecting tools. So if you suggested today, Greg, you told me on the podcast you don't sleep good, which is true. I sleep wonderful, and I stand on my head for 10 minutes before I go to bed every night. Felicia, guess who's standing on their head tonight for 10 minutes? Me. Because you gave me a gift or a tool that I'm going to try and see if it works for me. And so in reality, I don't have any certificates, but what I have is 54 years of life experience, 29 years of sobriety, and that what that gives me is volumes of books that I can pull down and either share with a sponsee, a client, a friend, you, one of your listeners to say, hey. You're going through a divorce. I went through a divorce. Let me share with you what I went through. You lost a parent to Alzheimer's. I lost a parent to Alzheimer's. And I just think that that real life experience is the part that makes it authentic, that the conversation and the connectivity between two human beings happens much faster. Yeah, I completely agree with you on that. I think all the credentials in the world really don't matter if you're unable to show up authentically to a conversation, kind of bringing yourself is the most important piece. It's funny that you say connection or the connectivity because I was just having a conversation with someone this morning about like the importance of being able to connect. I know that you have some amazing professional experience in your past that you have to be a master connector. The cool thing is, is I think your personal life experience and your career experience, it all intertwines. There's so many things that overlap as far as connection goes. So would you mind speaking a little bit about some of your professional experience and how that 
integrates well with kind of personal life as well and recovery. Yeah, I' happy to. Thank you. And so, the name of the company is Startup Recovery. Our tagline is shifting addiction to passion. That's what I had to do as a young man who came to Los Angeles to get in the entertainment business and make it. I had no idea what I was going to do. I didn't know if I was going to be a writer, an actor, producer, who knows what I was going to do. And my friends weren't too helpful. They were just like, hey, you can sleep on our couch until you figure it out. And this is right when the movie Swingers came out. (laughs) And so I don't know if you're of age to see that movie, but that was kind of our lifestyle where we just went out, drove around told lots of stories and didn't get much work done. And for me, about two years into that sort of pattern, I had gone nowhere in my career. This little voice in my head said to me, hey, you might want to stay in on Thursday nights and start writing and reading and working on projects and being creative. And so I began staying in on Thursday nights from 8 p.m. to midnight. That was four hours. And in that same week, I would go into the office at 8 a.m. and stay till noon because all my friends were hungover. They weren't getting up before noon. And so what ended up happening was that's eight hours of working on what I call now Project Me. And it was scripts. It was a book. It was TV programming ideas. And what happened in that one year, Felicia, was my career went like this, up, trajectory. And I thought to myself, okay, now, and the thing is, I was enjoying it. I was becoming addicted to the work. And then one more piece came into it, which was, A mentor of mine at NBC pulled me aside and says, listen, you do great work. You're very creative. People like you. You're going to go well in this business, but you're not going to go, you're never going to own your own business unless you stop a certain behavior. And I said, what's the behavior? He's like, I see how you smile at all the girls and you go out on dates and and you're always kind of putting your energy out that direction. If you were to take that same energy and put it towards your own company, you would have your own company within a year. And Felicia, I don't know why I listened to him, but I did. And instead of dating three women at a time, I dated nobody for a year. And within one year, I had a company, Champion Media Entertainment. My first two clients through the door were Doritos and Barbie. And the rest is history. And so I just encourage people a couple of things in that lesson. I just told you, shift addiction to passion, make time for Project Me, and then find a mentor. I don't know anybody who's successful who has not had a mentor. And it took me to my late 20s, early 30s to find these mentors because what mentors give you, so Felicia, the greatest gift a mentor can give you is their mistakes. Because here's some landmines, here's some block that I just did five years ago, 10 years ago. You don't have to go down that road. And what happens is it's a path of least resistance. Personally, on a personal level, and I know we're going to get into this much deeper, is that I consider myself a, a really good husband and I consider myself a great father. Okay. And I didn't have examples of either one of those. And what happened was I began looking at the men in my 12 step groups. I began looking at the mentors that I have in business. And a lot of it was this I have an old saying, Felicia, that I've had bad bosses and I've had good bosses. I've learned more from the bad bosses because I learned what not to do. The same thing is true with parenting. I had good parents, but at times I had bad parents. And I want to take the good and bring it over here. And then what I do is I put up a Great Wall of China, and that bad that sits on that side of Great Wall of China doesn't make it over to affect my three daughters' lives. I love that. There was so many, wrote down some of the things that you said, especially these three things here, right? Shift addiction to passion, project me, and mentor. It's interesting because that shift that you made, I heard you say 
there was sort of just this idea, this voice. Do you know where that came from as far as shifting addiction to passion, taking these eight hours a day? Where did that come from? Well, we alcoholics and addicts, we have addictive personalities and it can be for evil or it can be for good. And I think I was at a Y in the road as a young man in LA. And one of the things that has been really good in my life is intuition or my gut. And Felicia, if I can ask you a question, when you've gone against your gut, has something bad happened or something good happened? If I go against it, it's usually something bad, yes. usually. Yeah, right. <laughs> then you've got the bad feeling, you make the decision, you should be doing this, yep. and you're going against it. And even if it's not outwardly bad, it's at least internally bad. Amen. The, it's that it's turmoil that you get when you're like, okay, this isn't what I'm supposed to be doing. And there's that inner turmoil. Maybe nothing bad happens on the outside, but for sure inside. I work with a lot of people in, in career path. Someone will say, hey, I got a job where I just love the company. When I walked in, it, I just felt at home. But the other job is $25,000 more. And I'm working out of a cubicle. I have to drive to Pasadena. And I'm going to take the job with more money. And I'm like, okay, well, then I'll see you in six months back here again doing the same exercise. And like, well, what do you mean? What do you mean? And what you don't understand is you can't put a price on joy. You cannot put a price on joy. So when you get that good, warm feeling like this is a place I can work every day because it feels good, that's worth 50000 versus 25000 in cash. And so for me, when you asked me when that voice came to me, it was I was just at a Y in the road. I've always been spiritually listening to the universe. And something said to me, You've got to change your ways if you want change to happen, which means I had to leave some of my lower companions on the sidelines. Those guys I was going out with pretending to be swingers for two years was a waste of time. And what I found is really important for you and your listeners is that by me doing that, I watched what they did. They kept flatlining. They kept having the same low-level jobs going from company to company where I was able to create my own company within a two to three-year period. How was that for you disconnecting from some of the people that you were hanging out with? I know that, that I hear that a lot. I hear the difficulty of you get so used to these people that you're around. How do you disconnect? How do you detach? How do you start doing something different without maybe feeling? I hear a lot of people say that they feel bad about it. They feel like guilty for either moving on or doing something different. Um, sometimes they feel like they are... I don't know what the word is, but there's this obligation to continue in some relationships. How do you disconnect when a relationship isn't serving you? Well, I think it comes with wisdom. I mean, I think most 20-somethings don't know who their lower companions are until it's too late. And for me, what was tough was sort of that guilt where they call, come on, you got to come out. You got to come out. You're going to miss everything. And so you get the FOMO, your fear of missing out. I will say because I was working in a creative space, writing, I really put myself into my characters or the settings or the art that makes sense. So if you're a musician, you're all in on, the, on writing the lyrics and playing the guitar, the piano. If you're an artist, you're getting the paint supplies, you're making quiet time, you're just all focused in on the creative. So that was one thing that helped me. The other thing that helped me was that um, I began finding new friends. I ended up going to workshops around writing or producing. And so I'd spend a weekend with people sitting next to them and I'd say, hey, where do you live? Oh, I live in Hancock Park. Okay, let's go do coffee sometime. And before you know it, you're now passionate about quality stuff versus drugs, alcohol, and fun time. 
And so now you're passionate about something that means something. And so you're finding a new tribe. And then last but not least, I think what I can say is I had to let go of a lot of people. And I jokingly say I probably had to let go of 40 friends from high school, college, and post-college. 39 of them have returned back to my life. And here's the phone call. I said, Greg, I have a sister. She needs your help. Greg, can you talk to my wife? Greg, can we go intervene on my son? Because really what they have learned is the reason why, because many of them don't understand, hey, how, why did you get sober at 25? What was going on? One day you're having a beer with me at a bar and the next thing you're in an AA meeting. What happened? And what they don't understand is the disease of alcoholism and addiction is in every single family. It hit them five years later, seven years later, and the only person they knew sober was me. You know, So by me helping that family member, connecting me back to that friendship that was about more than just sitting at a bar stool, drinking beers, and giggling with girls. Those three things, and it's really, I think you know this too from your own recovery and the work you do, you got to find your new tribe. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I really like that you mentioned finding the people who were also writing. I think a lot of times there's this, I mean, I'm a 12-stepper. I love the 12-step world. I love the rooms. I really think that the steps can help anyone and can work for anyone if you let them, if you let them work for you. But some people aren't going to do that. And I think that that's completely fine too. But the important thing, I think, is finding your tribe, finding people who are doing other things besides drinking and using. You know, you hang out with these people who are also writers. You get really into your craft, connect with them over coffee. So get back to connection. That is, for me, I think probably one of the biggest things in the 12-step rooms is finding that connection, both with people in the rooms and with my higher power, right? I think it's interesting that you were talking about creativity and writing and getting into something that is different than substances. There's so many distractions in life that sometimes it's hard to figure out what is your creative outlet, because I think everybody has one. I think everyone has one. You just have to figure out what it is. And a lot of times it's whether it's substances or other distractions, sometimes that just gets pressed down. Being a workaholic, even you don't have, you have to have the discipline to make the time for that creative outlet. I had somebody else on the podcast recently that talked about just sort of exploring, getting into things, boxing. He ended up being a boxer and then getting into dancing and he didn't think he could ever dance. And the importance of having that creative outlet. I was reflecting on creativity at some point in the last year. And I mean, I think I read a book about the artist within as well. There was this balance between discipline and I was going to say freedom. So kind of like needing that flow because you can't be too disciplined. I don't think creativity could live in a place where things are too stringent. And it also can't come out of chaos. Like you need a balance of discipline and freedom or discipline and to sort of have that flow. So you were in this place where you were trying to change your life. And before getting sober, I mean, a lot of times life just feels chaotic. When there is chaos, it's hard to set this time aside to figure out how to have the discipline to get creative. So I guess I'm, I'm wondering about like that process, because I would imagine, you know, sitting down for eight hours a day there's probably some pain in that, <laughs> in that discipline. So I guess I'm wondering if you could talk about 
What did that feel like? How was that? So you're absolutely right. I didn't think about the pain or the suffering in the first few sessions of doing Thursday nights and Saturday morning. It's just like, Felicia, if you and I ever go to the gym, we haven't been in the gym in two years. The first few weeks we go in, we don't want to be there. It hurts. I'm sore. I have to get up early. But and after about three or four weeks, you're like, oh, I have to go. And that's the way it was in the writing process was, okay, I'm going to start writing at 8 p.m. I just got home from my day job. I'm exhausted, but I'll drink some water, maybe take a shower, get myself all ready. I usually write with music in, and I'm blasting Led Zeppelin and the Rolling Stones. And even if I'm writing about stories about the 70s and 80s, I'd put the soundtrack on from the 70s or put the soundtrack on from the 80s to try to help that along. But that lesson had come to about five weeks into it. Some of my best writing material came from conversations I heard next to me at a coffee shop. And that's part of the freedom I was talking about. The discipline is writing from eight to midnight. The creative freedom is you're at a cocktail party and you can't believe what that girl just said to that guy. And as Hemingway says, good writers borrow, great writers steal. And I just go, thank you. And I grab those lines and I'm back up on my computer. So that's the magic of what I was talking about in the creative thing. And I think the same things with painting. I think they're going to paint, paint, paint. And before you know it, they see this opening and they're like, oh, this is different. Same with writing a song. Now, I'll tell you, I'm in awe of singer-songwriters because A, I can't play an instrument, I can't sing, and I have no way of writing a song lyric. So when someone like Taylor Swift or Sting or Bono or James Taylor writes songs, then they play an instrument and sing them at the same time, I'm like this. I'm like, I'm not worthy. Yeah, no, completely. And I think that most of us are good at seeing the things that we aren't good at. And there's this this idea that being creative means being able to paint or sing or dance. And there's so many other outlets than that. So shifting addiction to passion. I love that. And when you were in this space of making that shift, were you already working on getting sober? When I first got sober on day one, I met my first sponsor. And he says, listen, I need you to do three things consistently. Don't drink or use no matter what. Go to 90 meetings in 90 days and take boxing lessons. And I'm like, boxing lessons? Why? Because when you do the first two, you're going to have so much resentment and anger. You're going to need to use that boxing lesson. What he really wanted me to do was A, sweat out the alcohol. B, discipline is in boxing, push-ups, sit-ups, running, hitting the speed bag, hitting the heavy bag. But I thought boxing was, oh, I'm going to get in the ring and box with something. I didn't ever box anybody. I just did the boxing. And I jokingly say that when I say, when I try to get people sober, I say, look, you're going to do the same thing. Don't drink or use no matter what. 90 minutes and I need to do some form of exercise because you got to sweat it out of you and you got to start turning on the natural dopamine of what exercise does. And I've been preaching that for over 25 years. That last part is exercise, exercise, exercise. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If so, Would you take 30 seconds and share it with another parent in recovery who may be looking for solutions to mental health in sobriety? Also, please leave a quick review on Apple Podcasts so that other parents just like you can find the show. I'm super excited to know this podcast is helping you. Tune in Thursdays for the latest episode. I'll see you back here on your next Target Run. Until next time. We are stronger than we think we are. So fight and show your strength. 
Burning grace from our God. Burning grace from our God. Burning grace from our God. Oh, burning grace from our God. Oh, 